Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Happy trails to Tim Tebow. You're no longer a Jacksonville Jaguar and, or a tight end for that matter. Steve Bursnick, does this mean that the 34-year-old Tebow's athletic career is finally over? Well, I understand he's uh, going to pursue his long lifetime dream to be in the NHL, and he's trying out for the oh, Lightning next month. Sure, that's <laughs> what we need. Come down to Champa Bay and join a winner. Uh, he probably he's hey he's skated along pretty well in everything he's done. So, but uh, um, not uh, not too surprising that he would try that. But you know, I, I I'm on record as saying I like Tim Tebow. I've met Tim Tebow. I like everything he represents. Um, and I, and I do not fault him, blame him, or otherwise make fun of a guy who wants to live out his dream, whether that was trying to play quarterback exclusively in the NFL, playing baseball, which he did for a couple of years or attempted to do, which is still crazy to me that you could pick up a bat and a ball after all those many years and even even compete in the sport. And, and or one more last gaps as a tight end, which is what he should have done after college. I wonder if he'd have come straight into the NFL. We know he had you know, the, the one season in Denver and the, and the big throw against the Steelers to beat them in the playoff game, which was absolutely the, the only highlight of his, uh, of his pro career. But I wonder if he had come straight out of Florida and decided to be a tight end at, at age, you know, whatever it was, 24 um, or 25, if, if, if he had, would he still be in the NFL or was it just too much for him to make that transition regardless of when he did it? Well, you see a lot of, college quarterbacks transition to wide receiver or even some Mm -hmm. have been to running back in the NFL. I think had he done it right out of college, I think he would have been given a long leash and had many opportunities if it didn't work out for the first team or or whatever. Because of your age, um, you know, there's an understanding that you've got to learn the position. I mean, how many Julian Edelman was one of those who, you know, and became a a great receiver in the NFL. He wasn't great his first year. Right. And he had to work at that and transition. And there's been numerous, you know, quarterbacks that have done that. Had he done it earlier, I think he would have had a much better chance at succeeding because, like I said, he he would have been giving a longer leash because you go, okay, this kid's 23, 24 years old, and he's just switching yeah. now. And, and we right. know about his leadership ability and his presence in the huddle and in the locker room and things like that that he did at Florida. That I think it would have been welcomed by a lot of teams. I think you would have had a lot of teams going after him at that point. Um, yeah. if for that, for no reason, other reason. But at 34 now, that leash is very short. And if you don't pick yeah. it up quick, and, and, you know, he looked a little lost in some of the highlights you've seen at, you know, the Jacksonville preseason game that, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately you've got to keep the best 53-man roster and then, you know, your practice squad as well. A 34-year-old guy learning to play tight end is probably not the best use of your roster space. Yeah, no, he's, he wasn't going to make the team. And, and uh, to your point, one of those guys that's uh, turned into a pretty good tight end that was a quarterback is Logan Thomas, mm-hmm. um, you know, who's now uh, a pretty good weapon for the uh, Washington football team. Yes. So, uh, yeah, just a little too late, a little too long in the tooth. Listen, Tim Tebow 
don't cry for him. He's got a beautiful wife, a great family, uh, lots of faith, and a pretty good job, I think, at ESPN whenever he wants to work there. And uh, we'll be doing college football, I would assume. Um, maybe running for political office one day. Who knows? But I got to believe, unless he can skate, that this is probably it for his athletic career. And if it is, um, what a career it's been, right? He's, he's, he's been able to try to do everything, but um, certainly still, regardless of anything that, that he didn't accomplish as a pro, still one of the top college football players of all time. Uh, I don't think that's in much dispute. No question about that. And, and you know, we, we tend to write, you know, the history books afterwards. And had he been a successful tight end, made the switch, it would have been hailed in, in this. And instead, people are going to ridicule him. He tried it. It's yeah. something he wanted to do. He tried it. It didn't work out. Kudos to Urban Meyer for saying, you know, a lot of people thought it was just he was going to make the team no matter what as soon as they signed him. They gave mm-hmm. him a tryout. It didn't work. They cut him. I mean, you know, the system worked the way it was supposed to work in this case. Yeah. A guy who's well, got tremendous you... athletic ability. And the coach mm-hmm. knows you. That helps, sure. But he gave him a shot. It didn't work. And, and right. some are going to rip Tim Tebow for it. And, and they you know, ripped him for his baseball career as well. You know, it was a dream of his. He tried it. You know, he wasn't ha- – I mean, maybe he got handed a roster spot in, in baseball. But he wasn't – it wasn't like they put him on the big league team immediately. He, he tried to work his way up. It didn't, it didn't succeed. He didn't get all the way to the majors. But he still was a decent minor league player. And kudos to him for trying it. Yeah, no, I give him all the credit. I'll tell you what, uh, not only did he try it, he got in the weight room <laughs> before he tried it. He's yoked up, man. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if he's going to lose that weight or not, but uh, he's going to have some shirts that don't fit him if, uh, if, he, if he tries <laughs> to come back down from whatever he got to. I don't know. It looks like he's about 260 pounds right now. Um, but the dude uh, working out was never a problem. And, and, you know, look, the one thing you can't do is you can't fool the guys in the locker room. You know, players know who can play. And – um, no matter what he brought from an intangible standpoint, I'm sure he was liked. Urban Meyer said so. Um, said he called him last night, talked to him again, you know, on Tuesday morning, and uh, everything was good. Uh, it had to be had to be tough for for him to accept, but I'm sure he knew. You know, getting out there with younger players, with guys that have played tight end, that know how to run routes and block and do all the things that he hadn't done, um, there was just no way he was going to make that football team. So. Uh, it came to an end. One guy who who is still on the football team. I asked Rob Gronkowski uh, just the other day on Tuesday, if you know, and it, this seems rather obvious, right? Hey, do you regret anything? You know, did you make the right decision? Look, he came completely out of a year of retirement where he had business opportunities all over the place. Um, Tom Brady asked him to play. He said yes. This time a year ago, he was in no shape to play football, and I think that's what I've noticed in in a year. Um, you know, with Gronkowski is it's amazing to me. He was able to do what he did with no off season, no training camp and being out of football for a year. Now I think. And faking his, his workouts. I mean, he admitted yeah. that he <laughs> sent five right. days of videos from just practicing one day, just changing his shirts to the coaches. <laughs> that was not a good idea, by the way. I mean, it worked. It worked from the standpoint that, you know, it was COVID and nobody could check and it's genius that, you would just change your shirts and sweat and, and, and turn them in as five days of workouts, kind of like we do with this podcast. But uh, I, I do think that, you know, he um, he did he did manage to play. It's just still amazing. He managed to play, what, 20 weeks of football. And mm-hmm. 
And now when I look at him, uh, he's still dying out there. It's still too damn hot for him. And, and, you know, he probably wonders, you know, there is nothing, first of all, for an older player, especially, but any player, but for an older player, there's nothing worse than training camp. It's a grind. It's a, it's a mental and physical grind. You're doing the same things every day. You're warming up the same way. You're running the same plays. A year ago, he was trying to figure out what the offense was, whether he could make it through a practice. Um, now he's got all that behind him, but it's still a grind. And he's an older, he's an older player. And yet, um, I think he definitely is engaged. He wants to win two Super Bowls uh, here with Tom. And it would be, what, like his fifth ring, I think. You know, you talk about Tom Brady going back to New England. How about Rob Gronkowski going back there as well? Um, he won three, I think, with the Patriots and now one in Tampa Bay. So, Well, wait till they sign Julian Edelman here in the first week, and then yeah, he'll come that, back too. That could happen. According to the commercial I saw cut by Tom Brady, he's calling all his buddies, right? He was calling everyone trying to get him to play. Yeah. And, and and I know it's I know it's for show business and yeah. it's for Madden and primarily, but yeah. If you haven't seen those, the video, it's it's very funny. Tom Brady calling all his friends to play football, and he wants them to play Madden, so he plays online instead. So, right. But I'm sure some of those calls were actually placed, just not not necessarily that way. Um, well, we know they were. We know they were answered by Gronk. They were answered by um, you know very uh, A B, for example, Antonio Brown, and some other guys. Finally, uh, and we're going to get to our mailbag questions. We've got a bunch of them here. We'll get through them as fast as we can. Uh, all answers 100% correct, guaranteed. Um, but we, uh, we're going to have the, the Tennessee Titans in today. They're going to practice today and tomorrow against the Bucs. Um, it's going to be really good work, I think, between these two teams. These are two really good football teams. These are two teams you could see in a Super Bowl legitimately. Uh, the Titans have been in the AFC Championship game. They were the ones that handed Brady his last defeat. In fact, the last pass he threw as a Patriot in the playoffs uh, was a pick six against the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel is his uh, you know, former teammate who's only, I think he's only two years older than Tom. Uh, the head coach of the Titans has a very big physical team. Um, of course, a downhill runner with Derrick Henry, and, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, good matchups to watch, whether it's Julio Jones, who was their nemesis with the Atlanta Falcons all those years. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really good work, I think. And, and according to Bruce Arians, again, uh, he's anticipating sort of two physical days, will not play the starters in this game on Saturday night against the Titans, but then does pl- plan to play his starters in the final, what will be the final preseason game, only the third, but final uh, against the Texans. So he expects them to play some, uh, in that game, so we'll 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 see how all that goes. There's usually some really good battles, some individual battles that'll be fun to watch, and uh, you can check it all out on TampaBay.com and on the Tampa Bay Times. And the Rays have caught up another pitcher for you to get to know, as they just keep calling up arms. Sean another Armstrong, one? Sean Sean Armstrong called up. Mike Brasso oh sent down. Kevin Padlo DFA to make room on the forty man for Armstrong. It's so. incredible. What are we up to? Is there is there a body count of pitchers that they've used this year? Or had on the I'd have roster. to go through it, but I mean, we could figure that out. They but. probably got seventeen or eighteen that have yeah. been on the IL, I believe. Yeah. And who knows? I Sounds mean, you know, we're recording this Tuesday before the game. Oh yeah, it's way so there early. could be another pitcher that goes on the IL tonight, or you know, Brett Phillips could hit an inside the park grand slam tonight, and you know, then we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a couple of days. But right, uh, he's on a hot streak, so something's likely to happen. But um, maybe those five or six thousand people that go to the game can tell us how that all pans out, but we'll, we'll certainly update you on the race. Uh, after, uh, th- there's a big series too this, uh, beginning, 
this week uh, between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Those two teams, of course, right behind the Rays. The Red Sox are three and a half as we do this podcast. Games behind the Yankees right there as well. Yeah. So they're both. This is the first time I can remember in a little while where the Yankees and the Red Sox have been relevant at the same time trying to get into the postseason. So this these, ser- these series between those two teams is going to go a long way determining who gets that wild card spot. Yeah, they're actually playing a doubleheader here on Tuesday. Game one's yeah. actually being played right now as we Right now, yeah. Um, as we're recording Tuesday this. afternoon. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. the Yankees had the, the Angels in for a makeup game, then a doubleheader with the Red Sox. It's a brutal schedule for the Yankees. So. It's tough, yeah. Tough on your pitching. You need some starters to go pretty deep, something the Rays aren't all that familiar with. So we got lots of uh, mailbag questions. Let's get to them. All right, we'll start with Captain Brady, who said, is the Byron motion comment being overplayed? I can't imagine them going back to the stuff that did not work last season when Brady and the Bucks excelled after the bye week, which included a lot more motion. Well, whether you're talking about motion or emotion, something changed, right? And we all know that because they were 7-5. and five. Um, Things were not going well. I, I thought they played better in the second half against Kansas City going into the bye week. Then there was the bye week, and Bruce Arians was supposed to have some kind of a summit golfing summit, if you will, with Brady. The NFL wouldn't allow it, so they did some conference calling. Um, I'm not sure that Byron was part of those necessarily, but look, I, I mean, we know we know what's on tape. You know, I always say, you know, when you're choosing between the audio or the video, choose the video because, and I get, you know, I think Byron is, is, is at the point where he's more than just a little annoyed by this sort of narrative that, oh, you changed the whole offense, right? And they didn't change the whole offense. I mean, you know, Tom learned all their terminology and, you know, the basic principle is still no risk it, no biscuits. They want to take shots downfield. They are not going to be less aggressive um, trying to do that. However, we know what we saw and what we saw was more of a commitment to the running game. Now, what Byron said is, look, we just ran it better. We ran it more efficiently. And when you do that, you you obviously, if you're successful running the football, that helps your play action. But it was undeniable to me, and I could go back and probably chart this, that you know this was an offense that didn't have much motion in it in the very beginning of the year. Guys line up where they line up. Um, you might bring a guy one way or the other you know, for a bubble screen or, or a jet sweep or something like that. For the most part, there wasn't a lot of pre-snap movement. Then there, then there, the second half of the year. I'm sorry, there was, there just was, and that gives little cues to to Tom Brady. Um, and then you know they they did make uh, at least in terms of uh, rushing attempts. I think they did make an effort to try to be more balanced and try to run the football. And yeah, they did do it successfully. But you know, it's funny when you're committed to running the football, you get better at it. It's like anything else. You know, if all you're doing is run it once on first down, and now you're second and nine, and now you're pass setting and pass setting then third down as well yeah you're not very good at it but if you're committed to running it and you run it on first down maybe run it on second down as well and get to third and four or less now the conversions are easier to do Um, all I know is that I saw in my own eyes I saw a lot more pre-snap motion I saw a lot more play action and more successful play action and I think that you know Brady got the ball out of his hand quicker Um, he seemed more comfortable it's very difficult to ask a 43-year-old to take seven-step drops and chuck it down the field all day. You're just going to get him hit too much. And, and whether you're Tom Brady or anybody else, you don't want to do that. 
Um, but I credit Byron Leftwich because that is that is the key to coaching. And I think he he kind of made that point, which was when we talked to him on Tuesday, that it's always the quarterback's offense. You know, you always do things that the quarterback uh, he's the guy with the ball so that you see the game the way he sees it. And that's been a big thing for Byron. You know, Byron played in one offense, and that was pretty much Bruce Arian's offense. I mean, he played in Jacksonville. We know that. Um, but but he was in Pittsburgh a long time. So when he's coaching it, he's always coached Arian's offense. I think there was about eight games he coached Mike McCoy's offense in Arizona, first time he called plays. But by and large, that's what he knows. And so um, – you know, if you if that's your offense, then, you, then that's what you coach, right? But the way Brady, after 21 years, sees football is totally different than, obviously, most any quarterback alive. That's why he's won seven Super Bowls. And he's more of a he's more of a game adjuster, I would say. He still he knows when to take his shots, and he will take them, and his arm's still very strong to do that. And and he's probably been more aggressive in this offense than he has. You know, going back maybe to New England when he had Randy Moss and they were taking shots all the time. But I think the way Brady sees it is, look, if they play back, you know, if they're going to play cover two, we're going to run the ball. If they're going to drop deep safeties on us, we're going to throw it underneath. If they're going to come up in the box, we're going to throw it over their heads. If they're going to play inside leverage, we're going to throw it outside. If they're going to play outside leverage, we're going to throw it inside. Brady is sort of a chess player that way, you know. He will analyze what you're doing. He will see the rotation of the defense. He sees the blitzes. He sees all the hot reads and all, all the areas that you're trying to direct the football. And then he goes to the place where he knows he can make plays, You know where he knows that guys will be open or have one-on-one matchups. So he's very smart that way. You're never going to fool him. You're never going to trick him. Uh, he's seen everything. And he just makes football simple. He's, you know, it sounds simple. It's hard to do. Not many quarterbacks can do what he does, but he has a very simplistic approach to to the game. And that's why you hear Byron Leftwich say things like, you know, if everybody saw the game the way he sees it, well, the way he sees it is as kind of a counterpuncher, you know, um, not to say he won't make you defend the whole field because he does, but he's also not going to force things into your strength and what you're trying to you know, to accomplish. So I just think it took a while um, for those guys, you know, to sort of streamline and, and combine both what Brady's comfortable with under the under the sort of structure of this offense and the terminology and everything else. And I think they all they all deserve credit for it. I mean, it's it's not a credit business per se. All that matters is if you win the game or win the the playoff game or win the Super Bowl, and they accomplish that. So Leftwich whatever credit you want to give him, he deserves. And, you know, he deserves consideration for a head coach down the road, whether that's this year, next year, or whenever. Um, and, and Brady will always, you know, Brady will always be the constant to these coaching careers. Uh, I don't think you hurt Belichick's career very much. If you look at Belichick before Brady and then after, uh, he's made head coaches out of a ton of coordinators, whether it's Josh McDaniels or, um, you know, there's been Charlie, Charlie Weiss, Weiss, there's you know Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. There's there's been a ton of them. So, you know, Byron Leftwich will be in the next one, and we'll see how he does when when and if he gets his chance. But you know, Tom Brady is is the he's the unicorn man. <laughs> he's the he's the deal. There's nobody been nobody in the history of this game has been like this dude. So, you know, you kind of you kind of hang on to the reins and let them take you for a ride, I guess. 
All right, Les asks, Rick, is there any chance that Kyle Trask could play his way into the number two spot and Blaine Gabbert could be the odd man out? Let's face it, the backup to Brady never plays, and if he gets hurt, Gabbert won't take us very far. So why not accelerate Kyle Trask's learning curve? Well, I don't think there's a chance of that this year because, again, it's all about winning Super Bowls. And so, you know, first of all, if if Gabbert has to play, you're in a bad – you're in a world of hurt. The question is, you know, would it be a situation where Gabbert has to play three games, two games, a game, a half? If you're talking about something cataclysmic that knocks Brady out for the rest of the year whenever that might occur – you're pretty much dead in the water anyway at that point. Um, I like Blaine Gabbert. He's got some ability. He's got a hell of an arm. Uh, he can certainly move in the pocket. Not necessarily the most accurate guy. He's probably improved uh, even with not playing because he's been able to be under guys like Brady, and he's now been in the same system because this was a guy that bounced around a lot. He was in Tennessee for a little while. He's been in the same Bruce Arian system that he ran for a year or so in Arizona now three years, and that's a big deal. Because he, he understands the personnel. He's been around these players, gotten plenty of reps in practice. So I think he's he's the absolute number two. I don't see any way Trask overtakes him, um, barring an injury to Gabbert in the preseason. Now, if Gabbert were to get hurt, what would be interesting is this. Uh, and it's happened before. Uh, you know, you've had, uh, I think, uh, what, Ryan Griffin has gotten hurt before. I think Gabbert's gotten hurt, or, or one of those backups have gotten hurt before in the preseason. You could have a situation where um, if there was an injury to your number two, uh, you know, maybe Trask overtakes Ryan Griffin for the backup job. I could see that happening because I think he's more talented, and even though he's young and has a lot to learn, uh, they probably feel like he gives them a better chance to win than, than Ryan Griffin. So, um, But I don't, I don't see a scenario um, going into the season, barring an injury, um, where Trask isn't going to be the number three. And then you just you go from there. But I, I think it's a redshirt year for him. That would be ideal. That would mean Brady is healthy. It would mean Trask will learn a lot on the sidelines uh, and in practice. And, you know, you know Gabbert, um, you know, if you need – it's like they say about backup quarterbacks. You know, if, if, uh, if you need him to start two games, you hope he wins one of them. If you need him to start three games, you hope he wins one of them <laughs> because, you know, you're just trying to keep the train on the tracks at that point anyway. All right, Greg tweeted us and said, Back in the day, the Buffalo Bills ran the K-Gun offense. They ran a spread off and ran draws and counters with their running backs. They often had three or four wide receivers out there. They would also run draws out of the formation. Do you see a scenario where Brady runs a version of this offense? No. no I mean, I, I have seen him um, do the shotgun sort of – it's not it's not really the K-Gun. Um, there is some – you know, there is some elements to the spread option in it, right, in terms of play action, uh, in terms of motion, you know, guys in motion where you fake the handoff, pull it out, maybe roll out. Um, they've got a few waggles, uh, a few bootlegs. They, they don't like, obviously, to get Brady on the edge or make him move from the pocket because that's where, that's where he thrives. But they do have some motions and some deception in the run game um, that they can then play play action off of that. But – Listen, you don't want Brady holding the ball for very long, regardless of what he's doing. If he's going to fake the handoff, fake the jet sweep, whatever it is he's doing back there, um, you want to give him a chance to survey the field and get rid of that ball so you don't get him hit. But I have it is a part of their offense. It, they they have practiced it. Um, you know Brady's mobility 
limited as it has always been is is probably as good as it's been in the last 14 years because he's got the knee repaired he doesn't you know not wearing the the sort of sleeve on his knee now he'll wear a brace in the game to protect it just the integrity of the acl and everything he he lost in 2008 but for the most part he looks as nimble as as one would expect a guy at 44 to, to even attempt to do what he's doing so um you, you will find him in a pocket, though. I, you know, for for all the fakes and the handoffs and and these sort of things, they're not going to run the K gun uh, like they did in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick. That's just not going to happen. All right, Randall asked, "Do we know why Cam Brate was on the PUP list earlier this year? There's been very little said about his injury." Well, that's because uh, they don't have to tell us about it. And, you know, it won't be until the regular season that they have to list the body part. It's not quite as bad as hockey where you have upper body, lower body, and you have no clue what that really means. Um, With Cam, we know his history. He's had uh, hip surgery. He's had, uh, you know, he's struggled with that in the past. Um, Just watching him, I mean, you know, there's a couple things that – you know, you've seen with Cam before. He's been he he's been hit around a little bit, and he's had some back issues. I got to believe it's nothing with his legs. Um, doesn't appear to be anything with his upper body. I, it, you know, somewhere in his back area, maybe he's gotten stiff or or injured the injured himself a little bit. Um, they're breaking him in slowly, so again, it's all speculation, and we won't know until he gets to week one and he's on an injury report, which he still could be, even though he's practicing or playing, he still could end up on an injury report with something wrong with him. Um, but right now, they don't have to tell us. So I know <clears throat> all questions answered 100% correctly. If I if I were a betting man, I would say it's probably something to do with his back. All right, we got a couple questions on this, and they're kind of the opposite ends, but Narendra asked any memorable player that you saw with the Bucks, who was the talk of the town during the off season and practice and underachieved in the regular season. Meanwhile, bemused Tampa Bay sports fan asked, what's the most significant Buccaneer to ever win a roster or starting position due to a performance in a preseason game? Well, these archive questions really, really baffle me sometimes because I've done this way too long to try to pick <laughs> one guy. I'll give you a player who was the talk of the town and, started out okay but but it didn't end up that way and he's still playing football and that's Deshaun Jackson um Deshaun Jackson you know was a guy that Dirk Cutter absolutely wanted as a free agent he felt they needed explosiveness on offense they paid him I think you know close to 10 million dollars which was a lot of money at that time for the wide receiver position especially a guy uh, that was in his 30s and you know in the preseason he worked well with Jameis Winston we saw you know, a, a lot of, of deep shots and, and, you know, a lot of time they spent out there. He could track the ball as good as anyone. Um, and then the game started, and him and Winston in particular just never seemed to, to to get on the same page. I think Deshaun did his job. I think he ran past people. I think he got open. I just don't think, you know, that, that Winston was very good at that part of his career of throwing the ball to him down the field. And I think he felt pressure to do so because when you sign a guy like that, you know, First of all, Deshaun is not shy. Like a lot of receivers, he's not shy of saying, I was open, I was open, throw me the ball, I'm open. Um, he, he was. He's a diva. He's one of the diva receivers in the NFL. And so I think Jameis felt pressure um, to, to get to force the ball to him at times when he probably shouldn't have, and then he missed him at times when, when Deshaun was open. And, um, you know, ironically, when Winston was suspended for three games the second year when they brought him back, um, 
you know, he went off with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who did throw a good, accurate deep ball. And I think, you know, those first few games, um, they got off to a pretty good start, and they were putting up 400 yards a game and a bunch of touchdowns. And then, you know, they kind of hit hit the skids a little, and Jameis came back. And I don't think from that point on that Deshaun Jackson really bought into Jameis Winston. I think he was preferring they stick with Fitzpatrick um, because that chemistry was there. And so it just didn't work out. And now he's playing however old he is with the uh, the L.A. Rams. As far as – what was the other one? Uh, Who's ever pre- won a roster spot or starting position due to a performance in preseason? Um, hmm. That was a little tougher. I I'm sure there have been. I'd have to I'd have to give it some thought. Uh, you know, you you sometimes have guys that uh, are lower round draft picks. Uh, I think that uh, if you recall the guy that returned the first punt for a touchdown in Buccaneers history, Michael Spurlock, he absolutely won a job in the preseason. Um, he was brought in here by Rich Bisaccia, who had him at Old Miss, and he was a relative unknown and a guy that had played multiple sports and everything else. And, um, you know, I think Rich Passaccia just knew the kid, and he was special, and, and he, he broke – he made he set Buccaneer history, you know. Uh, he was one I can remember that really got people's attention that didn't know much about him. Michael Spurlock is, is a name that people in Tampa should always remember, but that's, that's one I can recall um, earning his way in the preseason. Barry asked – Curious, is there an actual kicking competition this year, or is it still 100% Ryan Suckup's job? Well, I think it's uh, probably 600 or 6 million percent uh, Ryan Suckup's job because that's that's the amount of money they're guaranteeing him over the next two years. Uh, he signed an enormous contract after you know connecting on 91% of his kicks, and I think it might have been a little bit of an overreaction, a little bit, um, but he must have had leverage too. There must have been other teams willing to pay him that because uh, he decided to come back, but he came back for a whopping salary. And, you know, I, I think the Bucks were so grateful that he reversed the curse uh, of all these wayward place kickers, and they absolutely needed him, uh, you know, to go on that run and to win the Super Bowl, that that's why they were willing to lock him up, you know. Um, now, Borgalis is... You know, Jose is phenomenal. I think he's a really a, a real talent, although. <laughs> so the other day we were inside on Monday, and he went 8 of 8, including like a 60-yarder, right? <laughs> and so after practice, I asked Arians, I go, hey, is there any scenario you can think of where Borgalis makes this, you know, given what you've committed to Ryan Suckup? And he goes, ah, I haven't seen him do it, you know, when with a live bullet. I don't got to see him in situations in a game. You know, let's let's see how he reacts and blah, blah, blah. Of course, he didn't get any kicks, I don't think, in the first preseason game. And then um, he goes outside on Tuesday, and, of course, he was like a shank eponymous on a couple of them. Uh, and then uh, he did hit the big one to end practice. But at one point, Arians drove by me in his golf carts. He says, you jinxed him. See, you jinxed him. I said, well, it was indoors. So, you know, you got to have that caveat when guys are nailing 60 yarders inside because you don't have the wind you don't have anything to contend with but um i don't i don't i think the kid's real talented i think he's so talented that if he plays in the preseason and does what i think he's going to do this is a luke groser award winner i'm curious why he signed here i don't know who his agent is but 
you know, he has very little to no chance of earning this job unless, you know, something, God forbid, were to happen injury-wise to suck up, and then the Bucks would still have to pay his salary, and it would be a big salary cap number for a guy they're not they don't have. But I think he has a chance to make somebody else's roster. He's that good, and if if he plays the way I think he's going to and kicks the way he's going to, there will be a team who absolutely is not happy with their place kicker before the start of the regular season, and they will sign him. I don't think they're going to be able to get him through waivers and get him back on the practice squad, which would be the ideal thing is to have, you know, you you, you absolutely have to have a kicker in case your guy gets COVID. That happened last year where they were contact tracing and we didn't know if you know, suck-up was going to play. So it would be great to have somebody like him on the practice squad. I just think he's too good um, to make it. But on this team, I don't see him, you know, barring an injury uh, or just an absolute meltdown on suck-up's part, I don't see him taking over because – it's a business, and the business is um, they've got a lot of money sunk into Ryan Suckup right now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we'll switch to the Rays now. And David tweeted us. Is Brett Phillips the greatest Ray of all time or the greatest player in Major League Baseball history? Seriously, is there a more beloved Tampa Bay Ray? Um, maybe not right now. I, I think he's. I think there's a couple reasons, and not the least of which, not just the joy he plays with, but let's not forget he's from Seminole High School, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're watching every kid's, every little kid's dream. You know, not that far removed from your son or my son. In fact, I think he's about my son's age. Where you grew up a Rays fan, you went to Rays games. You know, he's of that generation where the Rays were relevant. They were here. And winning worlds or going to World Series, and then all of a sudden, you know, he gets a major league career, and he's back in his hometown. I mean, of course, he's playing like you know, like you're supposed to play with all the joy and the love, and um, that's that's why I think he's a fan favorite. Is he's one of us? So you know, there's not many guys like that, to say the very least. And I think, you know, he's not the greatest Ray ever. Let's not let's not be ridiculous, <laughs> right? That that would not be yet. Evan Longoria. Yeah, that would, he's got a long way. I don't know what his home run numbers are. He might have the most grand slams soon, though, on this on this pace, you know. And to see him get the inside the Parker, by the way, fourteen seconds. Yeah, I think it was fourteen point four five. I saw. Listen, that's as good as anyone in the majors. That guy was flying. I think Kevin Kiermaier the other day did fifteen something. He did. And we know how fast he is. Now KK didn't bust it out of the box. though. He didn't run one. to first base hard. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I that. mean, he wasn't jogging but he wasn't sprinting but he wasn't busting it like yeah. like Philip. but still that's really really nine to go 90 feet in less than three seconds four times i mean you know that's pretty good so yeah. uh yeah i mean i was impressed with that love the guy think he brings a ton of joy i think he's an absolute um character of the game spark plug he's going to have a long career on mlb network or wherever he chooses to land in broadcasting and he will bring joy to to you know everybody talking baseball but 
Um, I don't know that there's a more fun player to watch. I frankly would rather watch Wander Franco because <laughs> I just think the guy's crazy talented. Well, I mean, to see him switch hit and do what he's doing, and now he's getting a little confidence and um, his at bats are ridiculous. You know, he'll he'll hang in there and foul off pitches like a a twelve year veteran. And I think Nelson Cruz is a, the absolute best thing that's going to happen to Wander Franco. We'll be talking about it for years. He'll be talking about it for years. Just the calmness with which that guy goes about his business is going to rub off on a guy like Wander. Um, that's who I like to watch play. Him and, um, you know, I mean, they got a bunch of guys, right? I mean, a Rosarena is is still is still Randy Rosarena. I mean, he's still that guy that set all those records, and no one can get hotter than he can at times. And they've got a lot of good, exciting, you know, young and old players in that lineup. So, no, he's not the best player. He's the most fun to watch, though. Kyle tweeted us and says, do you think the Rays have finally have their long-term solution at catcher and Mike Zanino? Well, he's 30, so I don't know what long-term is when you're 30 years old. That would be the only thing I would say. Um, you know, catching is one of those jobs that, you know, you don't get healthier as, as you sit back there in the tools of ignorance. But, look, I mean, for him to have done what he's done this year uh, with, with the, the big fly, the home run ball, I mean, I think they've got 30-plus home runs or 30 home runs out of the catching position, which is absurd. The catching position, you just don't see it from that spot in the lineup uh, because of all the demands uh, defensively that are required. There's usually a, a, a bit of a – or more than a bit of a sacrifice with the bat. Um, so he's found his home run stroke. He hits the ball hard. He gets some big hits in, in clutch situations. He's driven in some runs. I don't think they're looking to replace him, but I think, I think he's they handled the pitching staff really well too. Yeah, and he does a really nice job. I mean, you think about—I mean, all the pitchers this year. You know, again, some eighteen or so that have been on IL plus. How diverse they are! How 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 you know, a bunch of them can throw hundred miles an hour or so. It seems left side, right side, splitters, cutters, curveballs, all that. He's got to keep all track of all of those things and know every pitcher that they bring from Durham or any other place. And it's really, it's really been remarkable. And I, you know, I think Francisco Mejia has been a great, great find for them. He's gotten, go back and look through the games and, and some of the hits he's gotten have mm-hmm. been enormous hits, clutch moments, um, home runs, you know, uh, big RBIs. And I think he's done a fairly good job behind the play too. Now I know they, I think Steve, they got a guy, what in double a right now, now that they're pretty high on well, Blake Hunt um, was the other catcher they got, they got in the uh, trade for Blake Snell. They got two catchers, Mejia, okay, and Blake okay. Hunt. Yeah, I think he just got promoted to yeah. Double A. Um, yeah, and, and they've got a couple other catching prospects. They did trade Ronaldo Hernandez, who was the one we talked about going into the season. Hernandez going yeah. in was the one we yeah. thought we'd see sooner than later. Yeah. yeah, they had traded him out, but they've added some catching prospects. So Zanino, yeah. Zanino's under a two million dollar contract this year. He has a four million dollar option for next year. Uh, I think that's reasonable a, for a guy mil- that yeah. hits 30 home runs, right? There's a million-dollar buyout on it, so I would imagine the Rays are picking up that $4 million next year. I would, too. Um, otherwise, would it costs them a million to buy him out. So I, I would assume yeah. he's here next year. We'll see what the long-term play is. Right. Yeah, that's a good answer. Tommy asked, uh, with Josh Fleming struggling on the road, do the Rays use an opener in front of him for his road starts? Absolutely. freaking lutely In fact, just, just attach him to Colin McHugh. Um, he's struggled on the road no matter what they do with him, but I, I would definitely not start him. Um, this seems that might be his role. He might be that bulk guy that, you know, you go one through one, once or twice through the lineup 
um, with the starter or the opener and McHugh, and then you bring him in, and he's a new look in the middle of a game. You get to the fifth or sixth inning, and then you've got you got your bullpen to turn to and play matchups with Kittrich or who else. So, I I think that's that's what I would do with him until he shows me that um, it's not successful. I think I think that's the recipe for them right now. All right, Les asks, Miguel Cabrera will, and Robinson Cano might get to 3,000 hits. But with today's strikeout or home run approach to baseball, and with on-base percentage and OPS being more important than the batting average to clubs, have we seen the last of, of a hitter getting 3,000 hits? Um, whew, wow. So I, I, I've got I, the I, list here of the active players. Who's close? Is there anybody close? So uh, Pujols already has 3,000. Okay. Cabrera is at 2951, so he's 49 hits away. He'll get it. Robinson Cano is 38 years old. He is 376 hits away. He'll get it. Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, he may not get it, actually. I mean, that's, that's about three seasons of 150 hits a year. Yep. So. Yadier Molina's 38. He's got 2,083. He's not getting there. Uh, Joey Votto's 37. He's got 2,001. He just hit 2,000 on Monday night. Yeah, I don't think I don't uh, Nelson Cruz is sixth. He's got eighteen seventy eight. He's forty. The one that may have a shot, and I'm look based on age. Elvis Andrews is seventh. He's at eighteen thirty four. He's only thirty two years old. How many hits does Mike Trout have? Trout is he's twenty nine. He's got fourteen nineteen. So he's not even halfway really? there yet. Wow. And his problem is he's injuries. been injured a lot. Yeah, a lot of injuries. Yeah. Um, some other young Eric Hosmer's thirty one. He's got he's at just under sixteen hundred hits. Freddie Freeman's yeah. at sixteen fifty three. He's thirty one. Starling Castro's be at seventeen twenty two. Jose I mean, Altuve's at seventeen twenty eight. But you know, yeah. there's no more trash cans, so I don't know if he can get there. <laughs> it's it's going to be really hard because I think also the emphasis is not on just hits, you know, yeah. like it used to be. Um, Manny Machado's twenty eight. He's at thirteen eighty four. Yeah. You know, he may have a right. shot at it depending on how long he wants to play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. You start looking at ages. You know, Bryce Harper's twenty eight. He's got twelve twenty two. He's another guy that gets hurt too much, in my opinion. Um, also, a guy looking to launch. You know, so there's probably uh, what we we counted about one or two of those guys might get there. Um, so I would say never say never, but it's definitely not the emphasis in baseball. It's not the approach. Uh, I think it's going to be really hard. Yeah. Fun note on Joey Votto the on Monday night. He hit 2,000 hits. He got hit number 2,000 and hit number 2,001 in the same inning. Wow, that's so cool. They scored eight runs that inning, so he batted twice and got two hits. So. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Keep Just both a, balls. Yeah. And we'll wrap up on this question from Craig yep. in Vegas, who asked, those who know the baseball situation well in the state of Florida know how the Marlins cook the books to get the money to build the stadium. How much are the Rays paying for the Marlins pulling the wool over the eyes of the state of Florida? Well, I don't know uh, about the cooking the books part. I'm just not that adept in what the Marlins did to, to get the stadium, um, to be honest with you. I, I don't like where that stadium is, by the way. Uh, it's, a, it's a useful ballpark. I mean, it's, it's you know, they, they got the retractable roof and the whole deal. Um, it's not where I would have put it, uh, but nobody asked me. So I don't know what he's talking about. And I don't know that – look, I – I think the Rays, I don't think they're paying for what the Marlins did. I, I just think that, you know, we've known that baseball doesn't work in St. Pete, and you said it perfectly last night, that um, 
you know, you can blame, and, and I'm sure there's factors all around, right, with uh, in terms of right now COVID, um, you know, uh, the age of the of, of, of the people that watch, um, you know, baseball has a, you know, that's an older demographic. You've got people in this area, and this this is for all sports, but predominantly also for baseball that are not from here. Very few of us. I'm, I'm a one percenter. I was born and raised in Tampa Bay in St. Petersburg. And so, you know, most people come down here, uh, they retire here. Um, the, even if they have families, they, they build their allegiances towards our old club, whether it's the Red Sox or Yankees, you see what happens when those teams play the Mets, what you, what have you. Um, but the biggest thing they suffer from, and I, you said it last night, Steve, I agree. is like, they need a stadium that's closer to, uh, Tampa or in Tampa where, those companies are located, and if they want to entertain clients, you need corporate support. That's what they lack. You know, they're not buying sixty percent of their tickets through the corporations. It's walk up. It's 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 the fans buying you know buying their own, and and that's a tough way to make a living. I don't know who's going to you know come up with a a better a, a plan for them. I, I you know. It, it to me these days it's hard to get that kind of money earmarked for stadiums. There's too many needs in the community. You don't see you don't see a lot of communities building bubble. I know people say, well, if they don't want them, I bet Nashville would love it. Well, go go talk to the people in Nashville and see if they got any problems. Well, it's Charlotte gonna, it's going to be are the businesses of Nashville going to pony up for the stadium? Because it's not right. going to be the city. Or is there a developer? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. somebody that has land. That's what they did in San Francisco. I keep saying it's yep. one of the best ballparks in the country. But that was a an abandoned wharf area where nobody went down there because it was it was scary. And you know, developers owned that property and they gave a sweetheart deal to build that stadium. And then what happened? All their property uh, increased. All the all their uh, um, value increase because they started building condos and it's absolutely gorgeous around that ballpark now in san francisco i was just and up in atlanta the, at the the battery that they have thing. the whole area around there and yeah same you know, thing it's becoming a hot spot at nightlife not just after games but every right. night and yeah you know it's a whole development it's not just a stadium anymore right um, and that's you know. what you need mm-hmm. that's what you need and I, I maybe they have that with somebody in ebor maybe they don't but a, a developer stands to 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 make some money if they can strike that deal and maybe that's in another city but i'm with you it's not going to be uh you know the city tax coffers that that open the doors for the race someplace else it's going to be the developer and i hope they work it out um although is, jane caster has been out and it's in the tampa bay times today um, she's confident that Tampa is the right location and that the, the Rays will continue to look in Tampa. Um, yeah. you know, obviously she's always said, you know, anywhere in the area is fine, but you know, I think you and I both agree Tampa, it's gotta be somewhere in Tampa, whether it's downtown, maybe the West yeah. shore district, right. You know, where those businesses and where people can get to quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's changing all the time down there. So it would just add to that whole nightlife. Um, I think it'd be great. Anyway, thanks for all your questions. Great mailbag as usual. All those answers guaranteed 100% accurate. Uh, we will have uh, talk about, of course, the Bucks and the Titans. Um, the Rays will, I guess, continue their series. Are they done with the Orioles yet? No, it's after, a four-game uh, series. they got a day a game on Thursday. Game. So. Praise the Lord. They can continue to beat up on the Orioles while the Yankees and Red Sox go at each other's throats. That's going to maybe help help them in some ways, hurt them in others. Um, yeah, so we we still got uh, still got several days to kind of follow the Bucks around and see what what goes on heading into. 
their game Saturday against the Titans. I'll probably talk to Joey Knight a little bit this week, and uh, we'll preview that and tell you what goes on out at the workouts. So keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. We're here every Monday through Friday. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burst and Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, have a great day, everybody. Mm-hmm.